All right, guys, it's time for the Word of God. But before we get to that, let's open our hearts in humility and ask God to pour out His Spirit so uh, to open His Word and open the truth and reveal the truth to us. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you that you will pour out your Spirit and uh, touch everything that we are so that we may somewhat, somehow, somewhere comprehend the truth that is contained in your, in your word. And we know you can do this because you promised that it is the spirit of truth, your spirit, that will lead us into all the truth. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are going to continue on this uh, series of faith. Last week, we, we uh, talked about faith that leaves a legacy from one generation to another. And we did that from uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, as we discussed, we, we discovered that, that that discussion actually began in Hebrews chapter, at the, at the closing uh, statements in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, in uh, verse 38, that's where the, the, the discussion began, where the writers uh, quoting the uh, scripture from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where it, sa it says there, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So he gives a statement with a, with a warning there. If you shrink back, my soul has no pleasure in, in him. And then after that, he, he gave this exhortation, strong exhortation. I love it. In verse 39, after saying, if he shrinks back, my soul, uh, my soul has no pleasure in him. Then he said, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. All right. Powerful. So that's last week. Now we, we are going to continue to the next chapter. We tested a bit on, on uh, 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 in our message, our sermon, my sermon last week, but we're going to go into more detail this week in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's just read, beginning from verse 1 all the way to verse 11. Verse 1, Therefore, since we, have, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3. Consider him. Okay, you need to underline that because that is a very significant word. We're going to talk about it later. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. 
And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subjected to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for good, for our good, that we may share his holiness. Now this is verse 11 is the punchline of the whole passage. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay? It's about the fruit. So, if I can can say this passage pretty much the writer was, was saying is this concerning the faith. It is the no pain, no gain kind of faith. We're going to have to walk this kind of faith. There's going to be a lot of pain. And no pain, no gain. And the writer describes the kind of faith, journey of faith like, like an athlete athlete in, in, in a race who runs the race let's just let's just go from from uh, verse 1 we're going to tackle if, if possible verse by verse verse 1 okay let's see therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us okay we talked about it we touched a bit last week but i want to give a different aspect of this verse okay what the writer is giving us here he gives us a picture of uh, spectators of spectators in a stadium of or, or arena it's like the olympic for example and uh, this stadium were and and uh, the men of faith or the men the doing the journey of faith is like an athlete running a race. And right there, he gives the picture of spectators, but he called them, we are surrounded by witnesses. Now, I need to, 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 uh, I, need, I, need us to I need to point to you, to, to you, all of us here, that the spectators that is, that is described by the writer here, it's unlike the typical football uh, stadium and, and even Olympic because 
the spectators he 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 called them witnesses or martyrs, if uh, in the in the Greek word martyrs. So they're not they are the kind of spectators. They're there not to be entertained, but they're there to cheer us on, to show us their stories, and to encourage us, because they know the pain of the journey, to push us along, to just pretty much to say, come on, go for it. It's painful, but it's worth it. So they're not there to be entertained. They're there for us, to encourage us. And then verse 2, he gives us the instruction how to endure this race. He said, verse 2, setting our eyes. So while running, we have our eyes fixed, okay, on the object. And that is set our eyes on Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. We touched on this last week. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, listen to this, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, let's, let's look at this. What is, in this, Jesus is described as a model, okay? Okay, so look at Jesus, the way he, he ran his, his race. What, what did he do? He despised the shame. Okay? So, if you look at the, 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 the story in, or, or the setting of, of a, an athlete, a runner, or whoever, whatever uh, competition it is, a good athlete has the ability to ignore the pain and just keep on doing, keep on running. His focus is on the finishing line and on the prize. That's what, is, that's what, what he's uh, encouraging us to do. To ignore the pain, fixing our eyes on the finishing line and on the prize. And another thing that, that is encouraging to us, that the writer tried to encourage us, is that, listen, this race is not your own choice, but God set it for you. Run the race that is set for us, okay? So it's not our, our choice, but God actually designed it for us. So he knew exactly what we are capable and what we, we can accomplish in partnership with him. And then he said, Jesus, as the initiator and the completer of this race, or he will make sure that we will get to the finishing line as long as we keep our eyes on him. And then the next thing is from verse 3 to, to verse 11, he describes, the writer describes the discipline that is required for this kind of faith. Okay, number, number one, the discipline of mind. He began this verse 3. He said, consider him. Who? Jesus. Yeah. In other words, in, in, in the midst of this painful race and whatever it is that you're, you're, you're going through, that you're fighting against, that you struggle with, you have, just like we talked about last week, Abraham 
how he got to the point where his logical uh, thinking and, and his logical calculation is by faith, has been permeated by faith. Now, now the, the writer of, of, of this book encourages us, he encourages us to do exactly the same and using the same word. Consider him. Logically, think of Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. In other words, get it in your head, the reality of it, not how you feel in your heart, not how you feel in, in your emotion, not how I feel, or oh, I, I don't feel faithful. No, 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 no. Just keep my eyes on Jesus and logically set my mind and make it firm in my mind what Jesus did. This discipline of mind is especially needed in an increasingly, increasingly hostile system that is blatantly against what we believe, especially for today. We live in the world of political correctness. People fight for equality. Every belief system is okay. You and I, to walk by faith, Unless we have a discipline of mind, we can be, it is easy for us to be tossed to and fro and from back and forth from all kinds of philosophy. I want to say this. People say Christianity is the most uh, persecuted religion in the world. Well, that's true, but there are many kinds of, of persecution. In the other, other side of the world, there's physical persecution, people being, being tortured and all those things. But in the Western uh, civilization, it's here. It's right here. Wrong thinking, wrong philosophy. And we have to keep our mind on Jesus, discipline of mind. And the world... Struggle in verse 4, meaning, okay, it says here, there is a struggle in, 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 in verse 4. Well, the word struggle means to be antagonized, okay? Consider him who endured from sin and such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. And in our struggle... In other words, when we are, be, we are being antagonized by the worldly thinking, consider Jesus in our struggle against sin. And this word sin is not just sin, sin fleshly sin, but the sin and, and the wrong thinking of the world. In verse 4, in our struggle or in our, in our being, being antagonized by the world, worldly mindset, we do what Jesus did, who actually resisted this kind of, this type of sin, even to the point of shedding of blood. And then he talked about this discipline. He described God as, as the Father who disciplined. But as you read from verse 3 to 11, you pick up that God is not just as a, 
as a father, but also father and coach. Yeah? Because in verse 11, you see, he said, in verse 11, he said, for the moment, for what, for, for the moment, all disciplines seem painful rather than pleasant. But later on, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the, the, the implication here, we have God himself as our father, but not only as a father, but he says, the, the, the word discipline also is instructing us. So he's like a coach. Now, when you're... <laughs> I, I remember watching uh, football, you know, a game of football, as many game footballs. I remember one player, I can't remember which team it was, one player made a mistake and... Uh, Probably two or three, probably one mistake too many on the field. So the coach called him back to the bench. And on TV, you could see the coach was like pointing his finger on the player. It was like, and then sort of like grabbing him by, by, the, by the scarf and then, and then sent him back. And uh, I think this was, was in the 90s, I think, uh, uh, AFL. And then that player went back to the field, he ended up became the player of the day. Powerful. Now he's. I want to. I want to. I want to say this. When. When you are on, in the field, playing. When you make a mistake, guess what? The crowd was screaming at you. Whoa! Like this guy, they were screaming at him. Not only the crowd, but the coach also was screaming at him. But here's the difference, okay? The difference is this. The crowd was screaming, they were screaming at him because they thought he was an idiot. But the coach was screaming at him, grabbing him. You know what? It was a discipline. Why? Because while the crowd was screaming, at him because they thought he was an idiot. The coach was screaming at him because he knew this guy is a champion. He could do better than that. And the result was <laughs> the coach sent him back to the field. He became the player of the day. And this is pretty much what, what the guy said, the writer said, embrace the discipline from, of the Lord. Embrace it. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained. Jesus, as a matter of fact, the writer actually wrote pretty much the same thing about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. He said, The Son, though he was, speaking of Jesus, Okay, the son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Obedience to what? Obedience to the truth. In other words, Jesus also had to learn to obey the Father and to live by the truth. 
and endure the pain and ignore the pain and focus on the truth. Now, you and I are, are encouraged by the writer here to forget ourselves, don't think about ourselves, don't think about our pain, ignore the pain, focus on Jesus. That's what we need to do. That is the walk of faith. I think when you read this and when you study the Word of God and learn the way, the learn, learn the, the walk of faith, the journey of faith, and keeping our eyes on Jesus, I, I believe the writer is trying to make the readers as the most powerful, guts, the, the most gutsy believers, the most courageous believers to endure the pain. Just go for it. Yeah? And here in, in, in this passage, the writer gives Christ, Jesus as the example how he faced persecution. I want to conclude with this. Jesus didn't come to die to create a religious system. He came to die for people. And you know what? More than that, he asked the disciples, his followers, to do exactly the same. We live for people at any cost. He did this to save them from the wrath to come. Absolutely. But not only that, he did this also to transform their lives in the life now. He, he did that on the cross to transform our lives, my life, your lives, now in this life. But before he left, he made a sure promise. And his promise was persecution. <laughs> Among many promises, yeah. But once your promises, he said, in this world, you will have persecution. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 15, verse 18, he said, the world hates you. Keep in mind that it hated me first. <laughs> and in verse 19, he said, as it is, because you don't belong to the world. That is why the world hates you. And verse 20, he said, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. That's a promise there. He promised that. This is what I believe. That is the reality of every believer. Now, as I said, there are all kinds of persecution, whether it's physical persecution in other countries, but in the Western countries, generally speaking, it's intellectual, philosophical persecution. And we have to have a strength of mind. And here's the thing. As a church, especially in the current situation now, what happened in America, in, in you know, and COVID-19 and, 
we see the struggle. Now, you know, we all know in, in, in America where Christians, that in, in their fight of faith, they try to gain it through having the right system in the government and all those things. But I want to say this. The only safe place for believers is God himself and his presence. Not in a good governmental system. None of that. Okay? And the second thing I want to say is the development of all believers happen not apart from but through pressures and persecution. Yeah. Our faith becomes purer, not apart from pressure, but through pressures, all kinds of pressure and persecution. I want to, in this, in this uh, encouragement to remain in faith, the writer of the book of Hebrew wrote this in chapter 11, verse 38. He's, I, I like the statement. It's a very short statement. But if you read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 38, he describes these people who are being persecuted. And as I read that, I, 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 my conclusion is, is there are two perspectives in here. When the world persecutes, a man of faith, they do that because they believe he's not worthy of them. But when you read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 38, God sees a man of, a man of faith that is persecuted. You know what God says in Hebrews eleven thirty-eight? 38? He said, the world is not worthy of him. Isn't that powerful? You and I, Whatever, whatever form of persecution that we have, you know, and the pain of persecution that we have to go through. The world sees us when they persecute us because they don't think we are worthy of them. Well, at least they might not think that. But from God's point of view, the scripture says, God says, no, 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 no. They are not worthy of you. Isn't that powerful? So here's the thing. Strengthen our mind. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus demonstrates to us what it means to obey the truth. And my last encouragement on this message is this. We're going to live, keep our eyes on Jesus, live by the truth. Even if it means we die, we die for the truth. Because it is the only thing. It is our only safe place. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We are determined, Lord Jesus, more and more. Under pressure, financial pressure, with... Uh, uh, maybe relational pressure, maybe pressure through friendship or whatever it is, Lord Jesus. We want to be people who know what it means to stand on the truth, fight for the truth and live, live by the truth.
whatever it is, Lord. Doesn't matter how we feel. Doesn't matter what's going on inside of us. We submit ourselves to the truth. Because your word says, if you keep my word, you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's what you said to us and we believe it, Lord. We will keep your word and we want to be your disciples and we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Bless your people, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.